Welcome to Women of the Wild, where education and opportunities are key, and friendships are made to last a lifetime. You think we got him? You think we got him? We got him. All right, Skylar, what do we got here? We have a nice looking rip off. Welcome back to season two women of the wild podcast. We would like to first start off by thanking our title sponsors for the 2024 year. Atlantic Coral Enterprise, one of the largest import dealers in the world with excellent quality for hides, skulls, shells, and amazing gifts for friends and family or even your household. You can find them at AtlanticCoralEnterprise.com. RM Custom Calls, multiple world championships from Main Street to Live Duck. American-made, veteran-owned, when you want to win on the stage or in the blind, we have you covered. Small shop, big sound. You can find them at rmcustomcall.com or on Instagram. We also have Rhino Land Safaris, providing exceptional quality with unmatched hospitality and cuisine, offering African safaris, a destination hunt for the avid rifle or bow hunter with some of the best trophy management South Africa has to offer. You can find them at rhinoland.co.za or on Facebook, Instagram. Hey everyone, Andy Lehman here from ACC Crappie Sticks. Just want to let you know about our crappie baits and jig heads. We have a wide selection of the hottest colors and big eye crappie jig heads in the most popular colors and sizes. Check them all out at acccrappiesticks.com. Thank you. And now for today's episode, we hope you enjoy. Hi there, this is your host, Felicia Marie with Women of the Wild. I am here today with Johnny from Arizona. Johnny is an incredible woman traveling the world and experiencing things and introducing outdoors to women through her brand. And we'll dive into that throughout the episode. We want to thank our listeners for tuning in to season two here with Women of the Wild. We have a lot of great things coming up. But for today, we are going to dive into Johnny. And Johnny, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm really excited to talk to you. You have had some incredible adventures and even to talk about, you know, your upbringing and everything. So can we start there? And can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, maybe introduce yourself and let us know how you got into the outdoors? Yeah, definitely. So I was born and raised in Alaska. My father was a, a bush pilot and a hunting guide there. So a master guide and outfitter. And he had a lodge out on the Alaska Peninsula. 
So I, I really kind of grew up in this very like <laughs> what you would picture Alaska to be like, that's how I grew up. So flying around in a small bush plane, we got to land on glaciers and, and hop out to rivers and fish and just that kind of lifestyle. And then in the summers, we also commercial fished. So when I wasn't in school, I was spending the summers down on the Kenai Peninsula doing commercial fishing as well. And so that was also a very outdoor lifestyle, being out on the boats and working with your hands and just uh, developing an appreciation for nature. So that was kind of my my basic upbringing ever since I was a little kid. As I got older, you know, I got involved more in archery when I met my husband and we ended up opening a archery store in Alaska. So it was a really big place. It was like 5,000 square feet, 5,600 square feet. We had an indoor wow. range and a techno hunt and I taught lessons there and I taught a homeschool program for children where they would come in and do archery classes with me and get their PE credit. And we had a full um, archery pro shop there for seven years. And I got to, you know, take women out on, I would get to totally outfit a woman. So take women in, teach them how to shoot, get them outfitted with a bow, get them prepped for hunting. And then sometimes I would actually go out on hunting adventures with them and sit with them if they were nervous or it was their first time or things like that. And so that was a really fun sort of way to to take that background that I had with my father in the hunting world and kind of move it into my own, <laughs> my own interests. And not, I didn't only do it with women, <laughs> it was men too, but I loved, I really loved getting women involved in the outdoors. So that part was a really fun focus for me. That's absolutely amazing. So your upbringing, you lived in basically paradise. I mean, most hunters, avid hunters, Alaska is like a dream for them. Yeah. And then you met your husband and opened this archery shop. And it sounds like you excelled extremely well for that. But then it brought you down to the lower 48. Yeah. So what happened actually was we had the archery store for seven years. It was super busy. I loved it. We, we, we just put absolutely everything into it. And I just started having some weird symptoms when I would be teaching classes. Classes. I I would also teach for Alaska Department of Fish and Game for their women's BOW program. And I would do these archery presentations and classes in front of large groups. And I would have to project my voice and I would start getting winded. And I would almost be panting while I was talking. I was running out of air. It would make me very dizzy. And I started having like circulation issues. And I went in, thought I was just going to get some quick checkup. They were going to tell me to, you know, pop this pill and I could go on with my busy life. And that's not what happened. It turned out I got diagnosed with a rare disease that they told me was incurable. And they told me I did not have very much time left. They told me I had about two years. And so my husband and I were completely, like completely devastated. And for a while, when you get that kind of information, you, you're just so devastated. You can't really process it. Everything was just kind of a blur for, for months. And then we decided if we just had such a short amount of time left, we were going to make bucket lists and go live our lives together the best we could and have some fun while, before our time ran out. And so we sold the archery store and we're going to travel a bunch. And then I found out the number one specialist in the world on my rare disease was at the Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale, Arizona. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up flying down here multiple times and they... I did some experimental surgeries and he had some really amazing information. I tried some treatments out of Europe and ended up realizing I could get way better care here. And they, ex, you know, removed that ex expiration date off my life. And um, I just, it just seemed like it was going to be a better life for me. So we ended up picking up and moving to Arizona, which for an Alaska girl has been really crazy <laughs> to get used to, but, but it was much better for my health. So that's why, I, that's how we ended up down here. 
I mean, that's an incredible journey to go on for your health and then to find that there is, you know, something that's going to be able to extend that period for you. I mean, obviously, if this is something incurable, this is something that you're going to have for the rest of your life. But is this anything that's hindering you like today? Are you now, I'm assuming that the expiration of that two years has been removed? Yes. So we are quite a few years past that expiration date. I study extensively, like I research extensively. I read six plus books on health every month. I'm reading blogs constantly. I study holistic medicine, you know, Western medicine. I'm, I'm all about mixing it all up and, and trying anything I can. And I will search out doctors like the, the disease is, it's a systemic sclerosis. So that means it's attacking your internal systems. So my liver, heart, kidneys, esophagus, circulation, lungs, like I've lost 28% of my lung capacity permanently. I can't get it back, which is so hard for hunting. So it's attacking all these internal systems and I fight it literally every single day of my life. I'm doing way better than the doctors ever thought. And I think a lot of it is because I'm willing to try experimental treatments or seek people out. So I will seek out, you know, who's the number one specialist on what's going on with my lungs and I'll find her in New York and then I'll do calls with her or I'll fly out to see her. Like I'm willing to, to really do anything possible because when I went from having an expiration date on my life to not, I realize I'm stubborn and I don't want the disease to beat me, nor do I want it to stop me from doing all the things that I love. And I just kind of flipped my thinking around and thought, no, like I'm not going to give in and I'm not going to lay down for this. And I'm not going to sit on the couch and not do all the things that I enjoy doing. So I have surprised, really like surprised and shocked the doctors down here a bunch. And, um, and that's been great. And so, yeah, but I still fight it. <laughs> that's It just speaks volumes of the person you are though. Like some people get news like that. And like you said, they kind of lay down and they let the disease kind of take over, but you are such a strong-willed woman and so amazing. And being stubborn is people say like, it's a bad thing, but in all honesty, look how, look how far it's pushed you ahead and provided you better life quality. So I'm so thankful and grateful for the fact that you guys took that jump and moved to come down to the lower 48 and get the treatment. And I think that, it, you know, you doing this and, and traveling all over and, ex- and being willing to accept those experimentals, it's definitely extended everything for you. I'm left a little speechless because <laughs> I knew that you had some, some issues, but this is a lot more in depth than what I had known just from our communications previously to the podcast. And you're, I've always known that you're just a very strong-willed woman, but you have just exceeded beyond what I had had in my head. And <laughs> I, I think it's important for women to hear that and know those stories that that, you know, if, if we are like hit with something within our lives of a struggle or something, it's okay to, to be stubborn and fight back and not let something like that overcome you or even ruin your passion. And if you are going to have a, a short period, then why not do it doing what yeah. you love? And I know that the doctors go by sort of the textbook case. And, you know, they say, well, you have X amount of time or you might have a few extra years, but you're going to be on oxygen and you won't be able to move around or whatever. But they they don't take into account the faith and the perseverance of the person. My faith is very strong. So I've prayed like crazy over this. You know, they don't take into account the drive behind you because I am in a support group for people that have my disease. And I would say 90% of the people got the news and then they went and got on the couch and they're still there and they're just basically sitting and and waiting to die. And I, 
it makes me crazy. I, I talk to people in this support group all the time online and I, and I'm like, just because they said this to you doesn't doesn't mean that that's what's going to happen. You have a choice. Let's let's get you up. Let's do something. I'm like the cheerleader of the group because yeah. I'm like, you know, you might have to like I've had to alter the way that I hunt. I've had to make some changes and and it's it is definitely harder for sure. But you can do that. You know, you can you can accommodate and adapt and still go and do all the things that you love to do and and you can, you know, take that weight of, of what someone says is going to happen to you off of you. And, and you can be your own advocate and, and choose, you know, to fight for your life. Right. Yeah. I mean, having taking action and having that fight in, in you, I, I think it's something that no doctor can ever know. I always say it's just at the end of the day, medicine is still just an educated guess because like you said, every person has a different will and what that will is willing to do for them and the action they're willing to take can change that outcome regardless of what, you know, previous studies have shown. Yeah, for sure. So is it safe to say that this is kind of what drives you in the outdoors? Like that, having this and having been told that type of information, what is it that drives your passion for the outdoors? I just really, honestly, I just really enjoy it. The The disease is, it's frustrating. <laughs> it's very frustrating, but I will say like, uh, just for example, I, I, in the spring around, it was March of this year, I had archery uh, red stag on my bucket list. So mm -hmm. I, only, I, my background is I only bow hunt, which is kind of weird. Um, I started off bow hunting. I enjoyed it so much. I just stuck with that. So I've shot 28 big game animals with my bow and I've only shot one animal with a rifle, which was just this fall. So that, that was my first rifle hunt. But so anyways, I, I wanted to do this, this red stag bow hunt um, in, in the spring in New Zealand. And it was number one on my bucket list. And it was difficult. Like everything about it was difficult because of my disease. You know, I have 50% of my esophagus is paralyzed. I choke on my food a lot. There's issues with, you know, where am I going to be sleeping and how am I going to be sleeping? I have to be propped up and, and traveling that far, I had to take 17 different meds with me and I had to get permission and all these letters to get them into New Zealand. I mean, it was just, it was very complicated. Um, I have a bunch of degeneration from the disease in my spine. And so I was having horrible nerve pain. And right before the trip, I got spine injections and then I couldn't draw my bow. And I had to like do this crazy, like <laughs> all out like three week rehab on my shoulder, like to get it back so I could draw my bow. It was just, the whole thing was tough. And then I got over there and I took an amazing stag. I was able to crawl on my hands and knees and belly crawl and get up close. And, and it was so amazing and fun. And I would say that like on that, the thing that drove me one is, yeah, that stubbornness where I'm like, this disease is not going to beat me. It is not going to stop me. That's part of it. But two, I love that feeling of bow hunting, of crawling on your hands and knees and butt belly crawling and laying there for an hour because you get trapped and you can't move and sneaking in and getting crazy close and, and then being able to, you know, make an ethical shot. Like I just really enjoy that, the whole process of it, not just the harvest of it, but that whole process planning, getting there, the whole hunt. I really enjoy that. I, I have to say you're a woman after my own heart because I always say that it's like the suck and the suffering behind hunting that I enjoy the most. It's 
I don't care if I harvest anything. It's, yeah. <laughs> but can we circle back to that red stag? Because for the girls that aren't following you, they need to. You're under uh, Donnie Marie on Facebook and so also all social media is Instagram. And that red stag you took in New Zealand was, I mean, amazing. Can you tell us more about that hunt? Because I personally, red stag is like high up on my list, right? Like oh, I even yeah. have one tattooed on my leg. I love that. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I, when I saw your trip, I was floored and you took a group of women over there. There was a couple of you that went and you took red stag. You took other animals as well. Yeah. Would you like to tell us about that hunt and experience? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I just thought, you know, this is, it, it's expensive to go to New Zealand and I've been saving for like 10 years for this. So I'm like, this is going to be my one trip. I'm going to make it count. So, um, some of the, a couple of the girls from, um, my company rockster let outdoors went over early with me and we actually traveled around and went to the beaches and, and went snorkeling and did all kinds of fun stuff. And then we met up with uh, a bunch of additional ladies on the other Island. And um, those ladies, most of them were from Proas, which is an outerwear company. Mm -hmm. And I'm the, the Arizona rep for um, Proas and I've been with them for a long time. And so we met up with them and the CEO of Proas. And so our whole group, you know, uh, met up at the lodge there. So that was really fun just to have a big group of ladies all hunting together and coming back to the lodge and sharing our stories and stuff at night. And different people were going after different things. So over there, there's so much wild game. There's basically no predators. There's no bears. There's no mountain lions. There's, you know, there's, so their wild game is really prevalent, which is incredible. So you saw stuff everywhere, but some people were hunting chamois, some people were hunting tar, you know, some people were hunting goat. So that was really fun. I wanted an Arapaha ram as well. Mm -hmm. That was something that I really wanted to take with my bow. Also, part of that was I had been to Hawaii years ago, bow hunting for sheep. And when I shot a, a sheep there, the whole hide got ruined. And, you know, they have that cool dreadlock hide. Mm -hmm. And so I always wanted to, to get one. And then our power Ram looks like that as well. It has those really cool, big puffy dreadlocks on them. And I, yeah, I ended up getting an our power Ram as well. And I love that memory just as much as the red stag, because I had a female guide. Her name's Bray. She's a total badass. She's so amazing. <laughs> and so it was so empowering to me as two women, so we're on the side of this super steep mountain. We for the for the ram, we I, I don't even know how we got this close, but we ended up, I mean, we were crawling on our hands and knees a long time. Or when the <laughs> ram would turn, we would kind of barely get up and crouch and run and then drop back down on the ground. And and there was no cover, but it was hilly, you know. So if he'd go up over the hill, then we'd, you know, try to cruise to the bottom of the next one. And anyways, it was really fun. It took us forever to get up on him. And then after I shot him with my bow, um, it had taken us a long time and it was getting dark and it was also started raining really bad, which it, New Zealand, it's like rains all the time. But um, so it started raining. So that made it get darker faster as well, because it was really cloudy. And we're trying to field dress this thing. And I'm like, um, I want to do a full body mount. And she's looking at me like, you're insane. So, <laughs> so we had to do, you know, we had to field dress the whole thing and uh, pack it out in the rain and the cold. And because of my disease, my circulation was shutting down. Um, so I was having like Raynaud style um, um, episodes in my hands and my feet and my face. 
and um which means basically all the blood like drains out of your hands and your feet and you you can't really use them and they they don't really function and they hurt so bad they turn like a kind of a whitish yellow like a dead person's hands and that that happens to me in my feet and my face as well because it's escalated and so it makes it painful to walk and <laughs> just the whole thing was just crazy and it was just you know these two young women on the side of the mountain doing this all and skinned it all out and packed it out. And I just thought this is such an awesome experience because we just did everything ourselves and I just loved it. <laughs> if that doesn't show the type of woman you are to overcome obstacles, like <laughs> you are a force to reckon with. And that's absolutely amazing. I love when there's female guides involved because like you said, for two women to get out there and do this, I feel like a lot of times women are left on the sidelines and to like prove that wrong of like, no, we're here, we're here to work, we're going to show up and we're going to do this and conquer it all. Yeah. So did you get both of them with her? Yeah. And she was my guide for the SAG too. And she's a bow hunter too. So it was super fun. And we that. had very, very, so I, I've, I've done a lot of guided hunts in my life and um, we had, her and I had very similar stalking styles, which is so key. I feel like as a bow hunter, um, because not everyone likes to stalk an animal the same way that I do. So I really love spot and stalk if I can do it. Like I said, I love, I'm all about getting on my hands and knees or belly crawl or whatever. And she was exactly the same way. And our, our styles really connected to the point where we hadn't met before we got there, but when we're hunting together, we didn't really have to say anything or signal to each other. We knew what each other was doing. And it, that was so, that made the stag hunt just amazing. That's awesome. Like that. And like you said, that's a huge aspect of like going with an outfitter guide is having someone that, that suits your style of hunting is yeah. huge because not all women are willing to do that or even men. I mean, there's plenty of people that aren't willing to do things like that. I'm in full agreement. I love this spot and stock and to get as close as I possibly can, or to fool that animal. Like when we do waterfall or something to fool those animals that were the real thing with the calling and the decoys, like there's just something about that aspect of hunting but it's not, it's not that way for everyone. Like some people like these long range shots on rifles and other people like to get in there and belly crawl in and finding that outfitter that, that suits you just makes your experience that much more incredible. And I am so glad that you got to experience that, especially with a whole nother group of women and have that experience. That's a big thing that we stand for with women of the wild is just building a sisterhood and creating that camaraderie with other women. So to go out there and do red stag and tar and all of that, like most people will never see anything like that in their lifetime. Yeah, for sure. It was, it was so amazing. And honestly, like I love, I've done a ton of hunts with groups of ladies because I just love the camaraderie of a group of ladies all in camp um like I like I said I used to set them up when I owned the archery store and I would take groups I took um ladies to black bear camp like several times and I did a group um we flew down and went turkey hunting in Kansas and um me and a couple uh, another girlfriend went down and did an alligator hunt with our bows but but then after I sold the archery store I've started to just set those things up through rock starlet as well and not that um, so my, my clothing company, I make, you know, active wear and lifestyle wear. So I'm not making outerwear, but, um, uh, there's a lot of, of women that like the designs because I do a lot of hunting based designs, um, you know, um, elk and mountain goat and moose and, and different um, things like that on the clothing. And so people have kind of connected through that. And I started 
seeing more and more women saying, oh, I'd love to go on an adventure, but I don't have anybody to go with or whatever. And so I just started setting up trips um, through the clothing brand as well. And so I've taken a bunch of groups through that. And then I started having ladies say, I don't have anybody to fish with, or I don't have anybody to go just travel with or camping with. And so then I started setting up like camping trips and four-wheeling trips and fishing trips. And so I try to do I don't, well, COVID kind of messed me up, but I was trying to do like three or four a year um, where I would just get groups of ladies that were customers together. And then we would go have an adventure because there's something really special about being in hunting camp or going on a fishing trip with just the girls, not nothing against the guys, but there's just something really fun about that camaraderie of just having the girls there all together. Yes, absolutely. Um, That's a lot of, there's a lot of women's groups out there doing this. And I always tell women like, there's no reason that we have to be here to compete with each other, that it's, it's about supporting each other that, especially with a demographic or, or even just, you know, some of us are, you know, working full-time and busy lives or, or moms or anything like that. So a group might be putting something on that it might conflict with the schedule or it might conflict with a demographic and seeing these women's groups, I feel like in the last three years that have exploded through things like like what you're talking about with Rockstar Let or Proas does a ton. I've been on a few of theirs that are always amazing. Yeah. But there's, there's so many of these groups. And I, I tell women, like, it's creating a safe space for women. And it's nothing against the guys. It's not that we're excluding them. Like, we host co-ed events. I know our Africa hunt is co-ed. So we, we leave that open for if people want to get their spouses involved or we do youth hunts and things like that. But there is, there's a completely different dynamic for a group of women getting together that is to me unmatched. Like I've been hunting with big groups of guys. I've been hunting in co-ed, but there's just this whole spark of fun that happens. It's completely different when it's an entire group of women. Yeah, for sure. And I, I like, I only do a couple a year, like I said, for, for Rockstar And it might be something as simple as travel here and we're going to go all do a wine tasting and stay for two days and go fishing and go home. I mean, it's something really basic, but just kind of to get ladies together, but I've gone and, and like you said, there's tons of different groups um, out there doing them. And I love like finding those and going on a bunch of those and supporting all those groups or brands or whoever's doing it too, because um, they're, yeah, they're just such fun adventures and, and it's so neat to see all these different ladies groups that are setting them up. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, it warms my heart to see that many women's groups. And especially when you see them like booking the way that they do, like with us, our main focus is education and safety. So we take a lot of the first time hunters. It's not about pile pictures or the harvest for us. We're like that introduction stage that we try to keep our prices low. We work with grants and sponsorship dollars to be able to provide these as like an educational intro. And then it's, it gets these girls comfortable. We also host like online courses or in-person courses to get them comfortable before we get out there. So I just love the full encompassing of like this support of getting women together in the outdoors. I would love to ask you because you have a ton of experience and you are so well versed in the outdoors. If you have any advice or tips or tricks for women that you could share to our listeners to maybe inspire someone who wants to get into big game hunting or bow hunting or anything like that, that's kind of like a little reserved. Do you have any advice to those women? Oh gosh. I, um, I mean, right off the top of my head, I would say just from owning the archery store and seeing ladies that were maybe doing archery like in a league and they loved shooting their bows, but they'd never hunted or maybe they didn't have someone to go hunt with and they didn't know how to get started. 
I really love the BOW program, which is Becoming an Outdoors Woman, which is nationwide. Not every state has it, but a lot of states have it. And I taught for them in Alaska, and it's usually through fishing, it was through Alaska Fishing Game. Here it's through Arizona Game and Fish, and I've also taught for them. I taught their bow hunting class here as well. They do multiple weekend seminars for ladies to just take maybe a three or four hour class with information to kind of help them. Like the one I teach here in Arizona for them is basically you're already into archery and you want to take that next step to get involved in bow hunting. And then I'll spend four hours with the lady going over, ladies going over equipment. We'll do some shooting. We'll talk about shot placement. We'll talk about blood trailing, you know, things like that. And, and there are women all over the country that are teaching for that program. It's super inexpensive. So that's a great way to get started with just some, you know, little quick courses to kind of see maybe if it's something you want to do. So I would encourage people to seek out, it's called Becoming an Outdoors Woman, and it's generally generally through fish and game, but I would encourage people to seek out those programs. There's actually, as I've gone to a few of them and taught and stuff, there's actually groups of ladies that travel around with their girlfriends to different ones. So at this last time I was at the Arizona one, there was a group of ladies and they were like, yeah, we went up and did the Alaska one, one year. We did the Hawaii one, one year. We did one in Kansas one year. So, and they, they all get together and then they go because each one is different. You know, what, what they're teaching in Arizona is going to be totally different than what we were teaching in Alaska. In Alaska, we were doing snow camping and ice fishing. And, you know, my archery class was out in the snow and the one here is like totally different. So you can do some really cool regional things if you go to all the different states. That's really awesome. That's, and that's a great way to get more well-versed as an outdoors woman. So that's fantastic. Yeah. We are going to, we're going to jump and take our mid segment break real quick and hear from our sponsors. And we'll be right back to finish speaking with Johnny. Share your love of the outdoors with your little ones through the exciting adventures in Dr. Josh Farr's children's books. As an avid sportsman, Dr. Josh Farr has taken his passion for the outdoors and uses his vivid storytelling to teach valuable lessons and appreciation of the world. Learn the alphabet through the ABCs of hunting. Find joy in exploring the outdoors with Let's Go Out and Play and more. You and your child will love learning about nature with Dr. Josh Farr. See all of his books now at drjoshfarr.com. That's D-R-J-O-S-H-F-A-R-R.com. Weeby Knives, a brand of skinning, fleshing, and butchering knives perfect for the hunters, trappers, and fishermen with a unique high-quality knife for animals of all shapes and sizes. You can find them and more information at WeebyKnives.com or on Facebook, Instagram. Stonehouse Digital Consulting, elevate your small business with Stonehouse's expert marketing solutions. Ignite your online presence and thrive with a tailored strategy to drive your growth. You can find them and more information at stonehousedigitalconsulting.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Livingston County Pheasants Forever, Chapter 465, with a mission to conserve pheasant, quail, and other wildlife through habitat improvements, public access, education, and conservation. You can contribute by joining the meetings on the first Thursday of every month at 7 p.m. at the Howell American Legion Hall on the corner of M59 and Grand River. For more information and to get involved, you can find them at pf465.com or on Facebook, Instagram. Dreamcatcher Charters, a Michigan-based guide service for walleye, sturgeon, and duck hunting with a passion that drives their success, sharing the phenomenal Michigan waterways with everyone. You can find them on Facebook, Instagram. 
Feather Moon Outdoors, offering calls made from select materials. Every pot is fine-tuned in the house using the highest quality materials available. Also offering diaphragm, slate, glass, grunt calls, and more. For more information, you can find them at feathermooneoutdoors.com or on Facebook, Instagram. Stay tuned, more podcasts to come. So welcome back. We are here on our episode with Women of the Wild podcast with Johnny Marie. And we've dove into her as an outdoors woman, her drive, her passion, exceeding beyond limitations of her disease state, and her encompassing of women in the outdoors. With all of that, Johnny, I would like to dive into, you brought it up earlier in the podcast about Rockstar Lad Outdoors. And I followed your company for a long time. And it's pretty phenomenal what you guys do. And even your merchandise with the active wear and the lifestyle wear that you guys have, it's it's pretty cool. Like even your, your swimsuits and everything like that. They're just, it's really nice to see that there's a brand out there for women who love the outdoors as much as we do. But I would love for you to um, kind of tell us about Rockstar Let and how it got started and, you know, give us a little insight about your company. Yeah. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. When I owned the archery store in Alaska, I just started uh, off initially, you know, making some clothing to sell in the store. I was drawing logos. I've always been kind of an artsy fartsy person. After I got my degree, I got a degree in psychology in college. I actually just picked up and rented a, <laughs> I w- I'm kind of bold and crazy sometimes. So I just, I rented a apartment on the internet in Paris because I'd always wanted to live there. And I just picked up and moved over there. And while I was living over there, I didn't even know French when I got there. I took some classes in um, fashion design and web design and stuff like that, just for fun at Parsons Paris. And that got me interested in, in creating logo wear and stuff like that. And so Um, When I had the archery store, I started creating logo wear for us there. And when we sold the archery store, I just retained those designs and didn't sell Rockstarlet, which at at the time I was calling Rockstarlet bow hunting because it was in the archery store and it was, I was only doing designs for archery. And um, so I sold the store. I I kept on the logo line and um, I expanded it and changed it to Rockstarlet Outdoors so that I could encompass a lot more outdoor activities. I didn't want to leave out the ladies that liked rifle hunting, but I also wanted to add things like, you know, fishing and camping and hiking and horseback riding and off-roading and all kinds of outdoor adventures. And so basically I was making lifestyle wear and I was drawing all the logos, or I still am, (laughs) all the logos, all the pattern. We have say like a turkey feather pattern, leggings and, and sports bras and things like that. I'm creating all those patterns. We have, you know, logos with Euro mount of a moose with arrows going through it. Those are designs that I've drawn and stuff. And so I just, I enjoy creating designs that where women can wear their passions. So if you're passionate about fishing or you're passionate about shooting your bow, that you can find, you know, fun um, lifestyle wear that represents those passions that you can wear in your everyday life. And then it kind of expanded from there. And I got involved in active wear. I started doing leggings and sports bras and swimwear and UPF fishing shirts and, and all kinds of things like that. And so I, it just kind of kept growing and expanding. And that artsy fartsy side of me was just having so much fun being creative that it just kept going. And now I'm doing some homewares. Um, I don't know. It's, it's kind of like a, a bit of a stress release for me. And when I'm struggling with my disease, which I'm, when I'm having trouble, you know, sometimes I have really bad um, nerve pain going down my legs. Sometimes I just can hardly walk, but I can, I have a home office so I can come in here and I can 
just draw and design and be creative and set up my computer. And, and it's a really nice outlet for me. And it kind of draws together that creative side of me with my passion for the outdoors. And so it's just been a fun, a fun thing that just kept growing and growing. And now I have a team of like 35 ladies on my staff that all love all different kinds of outdoor adventures. And they're so, they're such amazing, inspiring ladies. Everybody's really different. You know, I'll have one lady that's super into trail running and another lady's like amazing ice, you know, ice fisherman. And so that's just been really fun to bring all these ladies together and get their input as well. And so it just, it kept snowballing. (laughs) Yeah. And I have to say your designs and creativity are like unmatched. I've not seen anything that matches or even is comparable to Rockstar Let Outdoors. Like we talked about this earlier. My, my absolute favorite is your turkey feather one. I know you just released that blanket. That's like the um, (laughs) fleece on the other side. And that like instantly hit, like, this is what I need. Uh, Christmas (laughs) birthday, anybody that knows me, like that's, that was like super high on my list because a, your stuff is beautiful and it's comfortable, but it does. It's like you said, wearing the passion, but I love that it is so unique. Like your eye for that design. It's fantastic lit for the listeners. Definitely need to check out rockstar let outdoors on Instagram, Facebook, check their website out because there's not another product out there that I feel is contending with you. And I think it's phenomenal to be able to provide that to outdoors women because we don't want to just wear like, you know, some big brand store. We want to support companies like yourself and we want to wear things that fit what we're doing and what we're passionate about in the outdoors. And I I think it's super awesome what you're doing. And I love that it's so encompassing that it's like, you can be a big game hunter. You can be a fisherman. You can be a hiker. It doesn't matter. We have something for everyone. Like, I love that your company does that. I really appreciate that. Thank you. And I should add, I I said, I draw all the, all the logos, but I I actually do about 90% and then about 10 percent um i have some artistic friends or, uh, and if i see they've done a painting or a drawing and i think it's really cool i'll buy it from them and then i i might switch it up a little bit but then i'll make it into a design and they always kind of have fun with that too but so about 10 percent um, comes from from ladies that i think are um are doing really cool art as well and so sometimes i'll bring their stuff in that's really awesome to well and it's really cool to see that aspect of it too the fact that you designed the majority of it but also the fact that you you're supporting these other women with these artistic abilities and then kind of encompassing it in with Rockstar Let Outdoors, like kind of neat. And I think it's a really another great way of joining that sisterhood of supporting each other. Yeah, for sure. I love that you guys do these trips and put these events together. Does Rockstar Let have like a mission with the clothing brand or like, can you share with us what that, that like mission statement is? Yeah. So the company motto has always been encourage, inspire, empower. So really, you know, that same idea of sisterhood, um, encouraging each other. I, I personally, I have no patience for mean girls. It's just, I don't like it. I don't, (laughs) I don't like being around it. So I'm all about like ladies supporting each other and lifting each other up, whether you're an absolute beginner and you never tried something or you're, you know, you're a seasoned professional at it. Um, I just, I don't, I can't stand people bashing on each other or being nasty on social media or any of that stuff. So, um, if you see me commenting on social media, it's always me telling complete strangers that they're amazing or whatever, but that's just my, that's my outlook. I, I love to pump other ladies up. And so the motto of the company is encourage, inspire, empower. And in all honesty, that as women in the outdoors, we're already, we already fight so many struggles. We should be encompassing 
in supporting an outdoors woman. We should be out there supporting and encouraging other women. That's a really funny that you brought that topic up because I, it's something that I'm very passionate about is we don't need to put each other down for like, you know, you see these posts that somebody shoots a smaller buck and, and somebody's out there to be like, Oh, why'd you shoot that one? Instead of just congratulating them. And I've always had the motto of, if it's a trophy to you, it's a trophy to me. And I don't care if we know each other or not. Like I am so jacked to see other women, to be excited about something that they've done. And when, when you see other, it, it hurts more when you see other women do it. Like sometimes men do it and it's, like it's not anything against men or anything, but you see men do it and you're just kind of like, oh, but if you see it from another woman, it just kind of hits differently. Yeah. And I think that it's really important for, for women, um, especially like our listeners tuning in. If you're newer to the outdoors, don't get discouraged by those rude, crude comments because there are so many women out here with that mindset, like Johnny, like myself, um, you know, our whole staff, I'm sure your whole staff, it's not about like a size or, you know, piles or anything like that. It's about the fact that you're getting out there and you're loving what you're doing. And I I think that that's something that as outdoors women, we need to come together more and be more supportive and embracing each other as individuals. And, you know, who are we to judge what somebody's going to put on their table or what that harvest meant to that person? And I just, it's, it's one of those things that it just drives me crazy to hear or see other women put each other down over harvest or maybe even the way they do something like I've seen somewhere you know they don't like the way that you're holding your bow or something and it's or, or they get on each other for wearing makeup like oh yes. she makeup when she hunted who cares if she wants if she feels cute and makeup and she hunts knock herself out like who cares and if she doesn't wear makeup that's fine too but what, what does it matter like I honestly have like a whole new level of respect for the women that get up and put their whole face on because to me that's showing that much more commitment you're not just rolling out of bed and going you're actually like putting yourself together and taking that extra time to me that tells me they woke up sooner you know what I mean so to me I have like a whole new level of respect for those women that like put their face on or like when I saw recently was like having nails done Um, oh yeah who cares (laughs) who cares like we you have a an outside life beyond that as long as you're getting out there and you're doing it and you're doing it ethically what I want to project you know with others and what I want to encourage other people to be like I'm not super young anymore. I'm getting older and I want the the young girls that are now getting into the outdoors, getting into hunting or, and those kinds of things to have people that are good role models that say that you can, you know, reach out to, to all these other ladies and have a sisterhood. You don't need to be nasty. Absolutely. No drama, no, uh, no, I uh, zero tolerance for like the misbehaving of stuff like that. Yeah. We have our women's private group. We don't tolerate crude comments. Now, sometimes people ask things like, did you eat it? That's different to me like we can have a conversation and educate but if you're gonna come on there and you're just gonna post nasty things or you know I've I mean in all my travels I've gotten death threats in the mail over my zebra and I'm like what type of society do we live in where it's okay to threaten someone's life over taking in animals that was utilized like I just it's stuff like that as as hunters we're we're always gonna fight that but we shouldn't be fighting it internally amongst ourselves yeah the the anti-hunter stuff my gosh I um so many years ago I shot a brown bear with my bow and I was the sixth woman ever in history to take a brown bear with a bow and it was pretty cool you know experience and I ended up on the cover of Hunt Alaska magazine and with the bear and somehow someone in Europe got wind of it in England and they started this nasty nasty anti-hunting campaign against me and they were somehow they got my cell phone number I have no idea how 
somehow and they were calling and threatening. They figured out where I worked. They started calling my job and threatening me at work and they were threatening to kill me and all kinds of things. And then they actually put an article in the mirror, which is the London newspaper. And it had me and two other women in it, our pictures. And it called me a psychopath and said that, you know, I was, I was deranged, this deranged killer. And, and like, it was crazy. It was a very oh crazy experience. Yeah. This was like more than 10 years ago, but um, it was just when you said anti-hunting, it just brought that up and made me think of it. I mean, they, those anti-hunters, they just get nuts. Like, and, and, I, and they're worse to women. I swear, I swear they're, it's like, they think women are supposed to be these nurturing beings or something. And so therefore they can't um, hunt, I guess. And so it, it just seems like they're even nastier to women than they are to men. Yes. Which is kind of funny to me because if you look at the animal kingdom and our ancestry, women were the primary hunters. Right. <laughs> so it's it's within our nature and most women, right? I would say 90% of the women that I encounter, it is truly about being ethical and harvesting that animal to its full potential and respecting that animal. Like I don't take, I don't ever take it lightly to take an animal's life. And most yes. women don't we have this this odd like you said nurturing emotion that when we do we almost feel bad and it it's funny to me that people think that we're deranged psychopaths for killing things yeah. but it's like we are we're utilizing that and the ones that get me the worst are the ones that are buying meat in a grocery store right. <laughs> and then they they get upset at hunters and it's it that to me I don't think I will ever understand I have a high respect for like vegetarians and vegans and stuff like that because I could never live my life that way I respect the hell out of them that they can. And I fully support their decision. The only time it becomes a problem is when they feel that that's how I need to live my life as well. And what I'm doing is incorrect or other women are doing is, is wrong or unethical. Right. Or this year I had one where I got ripped apart over a, a monkey, a vervet monkey in South Africa of how I was some, I think, what did it say? I was some young, rich, white girl from the US. And I was like, A, I'm not young. B, I'm not rich. Like I am just like everyone else. <laughs> And it's, it's about education, learning the management of some of these animals. Conservation is in place for a reason. And if there are limits or quotas or things like that on animals, we are abiding by that. We're not out there. Like a lot of times I feel like people affiliate hunters with poaching, but in all reality, yeah. hunters are the number one contributor to conservation. And we are working with those animals and learning their their lifestyle and their habitats and and probably know more than most of these anti-hunters about an animal and appreciate them to a whole nother level that most will never understand not being a hunter yeah for sure absolutely yep so I I just I know we went on a little rant there but I think it's important <laughs> to talk about I got I got sidetracked sorry <laughs> that's okay like honestly I think it's really important for for our listeners to understand that there's a massive dynamic out there that maybe they haven't experienced yet or, or know how to handle it. With that being said, I'm sure with the animals that you've taken, you've had a lot of this. And like you said, with your brown bear, what, yeah. what can you give a tip to our listeners for how to handle an anti-hunter or maybe a ne somebody negatively commenting? What is your best advice for them and how to handle a situation like that? I think it, it depends on the comment that some of the, some of the anti-hunters are just literally trolling and they want a response. And if they're, if it's, um, if, if you can tell it's someone that if you can, you know, click on them and look at their page and see what they're about and, and maybe they're just trolling around trying to start a fight, then those people I don't engage with because all they're looking for is a response 
and then they're going to sick their friends on you. And, and, and I just, I just block them and move on. But on the other hand, there's also people that just haven't been educated on hunting or, or predator control or those kinds of things. And so if it's maybe a snippy comment, but but not necessarily that they're trolling and just trying to, to fight with you, then I think education is the best. And, and I would say two animals that um, seem to fire people up that I've taken would be, like you said, a zebra and then the brown bear. So, you know, on a brown bear, I would, I, I would just educate them on it. You know, I said I was in a predator control unit, which is an area of Alaska where there were so many brown bears in that unit that they were killing all of the baby moose calves in that area. So they were allowing people to go in and hunt brown bears in that area where you didn't have to draw a tag. You could go and get a predator control license, get a brown bear tag and go, but you didn't actually have to be drawn for it, if that makes sense. It's over the counter. The moose in that area, the year that I hunted my brown bear, there were 21 moose calves born in that unit in the area that they were serving and all 21 were killed. So okay. there, the moose population was suffering uh, badly in that area. And I can tell you that on one night of my hunt, in, you know, in Alaska in the summer, when you're, you're hunting um, bear, it's like 24 hours a day. And it gets a little, a little bit dusky at like two in the morning, but then it's right back up. So we were around sitting around the campfire and it's like midnight and we could hear on the other side of the lake, a brown bear killing a moose calf. And oh. it was horrific. I mean, and it was dead silent because we are out in the middle of nowhere. There's no roads out there. We had flown in by bush planes, you know, and, and it just echoed across the water. And that baby moose calf is just screaming, almost sounds like a child screaming and you can hear the bear killing it and it was horrible we all just sat there in dead silence like staring at each other and when it finally died down one of the um guys that was there said and that's why we're hunting this unit like that's why we're predator hunting this unit that is exactly Absolutely. and so you know now they've had that predator control program in that area going for you know many years and the moose population has returned is the is the bear population decimated there no they're they're careful about that balance and fishing game does a good job of balancing that out but they've taken enough bears out of that unit that the that the moose population has been able to rebound and so i think if you can educate someone on the facts like that in a situation sometimes you can you can flip someone around at least you know that's that doesn't maybe understand hunting but can understand uh, the facts of of the situation Absolutely. And I think, I think that's the big thing too, right? We're like, we're looking fish, fish and game is looking at population management in certain aspects. So like you said, a depletion of a species, they're going to look at why it's depleting and how they can fix that. Hunters aren't in there to eradicate a species. Like, I think that's a false conception that a lot of maybe newer, like maybe people that don't hunt or anti hunters or just people that don't know yet, don't understand that, that those restrictions are put into place to thrive all species and not just deplete one completely and something like brown bears completely could decimate an entire moose population if not managed and controlled so I think that's really important and like with you said about the zebra you know a lot of the kickback that we get because we host an annual Africa trip we actually have one this May it'll be our third time back but the zebra is always the big one that is a it's the biggest debate of it's, it's a horse. Yeah. And I, you know, I always have that argument back of, 
I understand that that's what the conception here in America has led you to believe. But in all reality, when you're in another country like that, they're no different than a whitetail is to us. Like, if not more so, some of the, like, we're in the Limpopo area, the populations in that area are heavily managed and they're not going to take beyond their means of what what's there and they there's like a certain specific and I can't speak for all outfitters just the one that that I work for and we use for women of the wild but there's a management process of okay well we have this many elephants and we have this many of this and we have to make sure that you know a population of the lions doesn't get out of control or you know, hyenas and things like that, or if they have management, I think that's a really big thing for people to understand. The zebra I took two years ago, gosh, she was like, she was so old, her hooves were rotting off her feet and her teeth were coming, like she were ground down to almost nothing. When I got up on her and realized, because I was that person once, like I didn't understand it until I did it. And when I got up on her and I realized how old she was, like her skin was turning to leather, like there wasn't a lot of fur left in like her armpit. And the guide was like, she'd have been lucky to last another year if a leopard or hyena or, or some sort of other predator didn't take her down, which is a much more brutal way to be taken out than by a hunter. Like we respect that harvest that meets utilized. So I think that that education key is always the most important. I agree with not engaging. I think sometimes they're just looking for more ammunition for attack that they're hoping that they can, you know, an anti-hunter can tick you off enough for you to have a nasty response and they can use that against you. Exactly, so yeah. I definitely agree with you on that. And I, I hate that we have to have this conversation, but I know that there's a lot of women who are just getting into it and it's, it's not necessarily big game. You can have it with your waterfowl with turkey with small game like you can you can experience this even from fishing so I think it's important to have that conversation for maybe some of the girls who are just getting into it that are gonna get their first because it's going to happen at some point in your hunting career if you or hobby however you want to state that at some point in time if you're posting it on social media you are going to get hit with that and I think it's important to know not to engage yeah and I do like if I just like, for example, on a zebra. So I took a zebra with my bow in Africa years ago, and I did post a picture of it. But um, as, when I did, I put the education piece right at the beginning of that post, because I anticipated that that would be coming. I still got comments, but you know, a, a zebra is a heavy, heavy grazer on the land. And, and Africa has been in, in a drought for quite some time. And you've got zebras that are eating up to five times the amount of um, vegetation that a lot of the other plains game is eating. So if you remove one zebra from an area, there will be five plains game that, that can eat that food source. So there is a balance there that you have to think about as well. And so they, they are smart about managing that, especially in a drought time, they have to be really cognizant of, of how they're, how they're managing their, their resources. But in addition to that, zebra meat is phenomenal. Like mm -hmm. it is so, it's probably one of my top three game meats. It is really, really good as well. And so I think sometimes with African game, people think, oh, you didn't need it or you didn't utilize it. That's actually complete opposite of what happens there. Not only do you eat uh, the meat, but you can't bring it back into the U.S., because African meat is not considered a clean game area like New Zealand was where I could bring the meat back with from the red stag. But in Africa, 
you know, you donate the meat to villagers, people will come, they use the bones, they use the organs. I mean, that, that entire animal, even more so than in the U.S., that entire animal in Africa gets used. Oh, absolutely. And to circle back to the zebra meat, I agree with you. It's fantastic. As long as you aren't a visual eater and you look at like their fat, it's a little bit of like a yellow tinge. I think that deters some people if they, oh, they yeah. skin and quarter their own animal. Yeah, Zebra, it's phenomenal, but it needs to be, if you're a visual person, probably don't, I'd be leery of letting somebody like see it for the first time if they're a visual eater, because that fat can deter people from eating it. But yeah. absolutely, the meat from a lot of these animals that you're going to take from out of our country, especially in places like Africa, I didn't know that you could take that meat home from New Zealand. So you just actually educated me on that. We go to Africa every year. And that's a big conversation that we always have is what happens with that meat. And I think it's important for people to know that that meat is utilized and donated to schools, to nursing facilities, to villages and consumed by the people there. And it actually is what is the biggest lead to stopping poaching is because those villages don't have a need to poach if their meat is being sourced from people from around the world coming and hunting there, that meat is now being provided and there's no need to poach. So it's eliminated a lot of that, but it also drives a big economy for them that they wouldn't have without hunting that I think people don't realize in a third world country how desperate they are for something like that. Yeah, absolutely. We are going to dive into our final break and hear from our sponsors. And then we're going to come back and we're going to dive into a little bit more with Johnny. And I'm really excited. So stay tuned. Um, We'll check out those sponsors for the 2024 year. We want to thank all of our sponsors. It's been an incredible year and we can't wait to share the new 2024 year with all of you. And now to the final segment to this week's episode of Women of the Wild podcast. We will conclude this segment by thanking our closing sponsors. Stay tuned for more of this week's episode after this short word from our sponsors. Muzzy Pheasant Farms, a mid-Michigan family-owned and operated pheasant game preserve that is open year-round. Muzzy offers educational courses and hunts. They are family-oriented, creating a great opportunity for new and seasoned upland hunters. With no membership required, come hunt with Muzzy Pheasant Farms. You can find more information at muzzypheasantfarms.com or check them out on Facebook and Instagram. Blast and Cast Guide Service is a veteran-owned and operated Michigan-based guide service for the Great Lakes. With decades of experience of fishing and waterfowl, they ensure a safe and enjoyable trip every time. You can check them out at blastandcastguideservice.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Ultimate Veteran Adventures. UVA offers outdoor therapy, recreation, and camaraderie through hunting and fishing adventures around the country for veterans, active duty military, Gold Star families, and first responders. You can find them at ultimateveteranadventures.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Sawmill Creek Bait and Lures, a husband and wife owned and operated company, the home of the C4, one of the best trapping canine lures on the market. You can find them at sawmillcreekbaitandlures.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Wicked 7 Outdoors, a Southwest Texas outfitter guide service with an exceptional care and quality of backcountry mountain hunts for free range audad. Also offering high fence and low fence exotics, come immerse yourself in the outdoor experience. You can find Wicked 7 Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram. Misguided Outdoors is a female-driven Michigan-based guide service offering turkey and waterfowl hunts. Misguided is focused on educating women and youth 
providing a hands-on hunt experience for all ages. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram. We thank you for tuning in and we hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. So welcome back. We are here with Johnny. She is an incredible outdoors woman, the owner of Rockstar Let Outdoors. And we've dove into pretty much everything of like you growing up. And I, I'm sure we haven't even tipped the scale of the experience and background that you have. This is something a little bit personal to me that I would love for our listeners to know that's out there. And I know we discussed it previously, but there is a book that is in my household. It's actually sitting right next to me. It's always within an arm's reach in my office, but it's the unpredictable giants that your dad wrote. Would you mind telling us a little bit about this book and, and what it means to you and what it meant to him and maybe some of the stories that, that our listeners would find inside of it if it's something that they're interested in adding to their household book collection? Yeah, yeah. So um, the way that we got the idea for that book, my, so my father was a, a master guide and outfitter in Alaska. Actually, a neat thing about him, he was the he got the 35th guide license ever issued in the state of Alaska. My parents moved to Alaska um, when it became a state. So they had been there for they've been there a very, very, very long time. So um they, they got there the year before it became a state. So he um, got the 35th uh, master guide or guide license ever issued in the state of Alaska. And then it became a master guide. And he actually helped write the test that is now given to people that want to get their guide license in Alaska. So he was really involved in that early hunting community in Alaska. And he had a lodge out on the Alaska Peninsula and was a bush pilot out there. And he mainly, he did a lot of brown bear hunting out there. He, he guided a lot of brown bear hunting out there as well as moose and caribou. And he, each time he would have a client come in, my dad would fill out a little sheet and he would just to keep kind of a memory of the hunt. And he would jot down the person's name and some information. And if they got an animal, what it was about, you know, wrote about the animal and then a few notes and things about the hunt. And he kept this book, you know, and he owned this lodge for many, many, many years. And so we got this huge book and we used to always flip through it and there'd be some funny stories and notes and things in there. And we started talking about it and said, you know, this would make a cool book. If you picked your favorite hunts out of this that had the most interesting stories and you took these cards that you had kept over the years and you kind of fleshed them out and wrote short stories and created, you know, a big kind of hardbound coffee table book with a lot of cool pictures and things, I think it'd be, be really neat. And so that's kind of, that's how that came to be the, the idea. And so it's, the book is, Unpredictable Giants, and it's 60 short stories about all these different bear hunts that happened at his hunting lodge. And while most of them are told by my dad, he also asked each of his guides to write one story. So there is a story from each of the guides that worked under him as a master guide and outfitter. And so so there's some little bit different, you know, tone there from, from different people telling their stories as well. And um, it's just a really, it's a really great book. And I always have people tell me that they just start reading it and they can't put it down. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, there's just, you know, whether you're a hunter or whether maybe you've just always dreamed of hunting. Um, I think it's, it's, it's an easy read because they're short stories. So you don't have to read it, you know, read big chunks all at once. You can kind of come to it whenever you want to. And um, there's a lot of cool pictures and just some crazy <laughs> stories and adventures in there. And one that always sticks out in my mind is when um, the the brown bear broke into our lodge and literally walked through the wall <laughs> and like <laughs> made a hole in the wall and walked through the 
through the wall and just tore the whole place up. And there's some pretty crazy pictures <laughs> from when that happened. And then, of course, when he left the lodge, instead of going out the hole he made in the wall, he made a new hole, <laughs> went out <laughs> a totally different wall. But it just shows you how strong and amazing those animals um, truly are. Um, and that was something that was um, a really fun project. So I helped my father write the book and I did a lot of editing and stuff with him on it. And um, even at one point had him tell tell me some of the stories on video so we could kind of capture, mm -hmm. you know, I could kind of rewatch that and kind of capture those that tone because he was such a, a great storyteller. And um, and so that's kind of how that that book came to be. And then not not too long after the, the book came out, maybe uh, I, I want to say maybe five or six years it was after the book came out, my father passed. And so. Um, now that's just such a, a an awesome you know legacy to have and that memory of doing that with him and and to have those books and then to be able to share them with other people I just think is really special and so even though it's not a it's not active wear and lifestyle where I do sell it on my website um, as well so if people are interested they can get it there and actually just as a side note because my father has passed there were you know signed copies but obviously we don't have him here to sign them anymore and just this week, I discovered a box of 12 signed books, which I thought we are completely out of signed books. So I have added that as an option on the website. And then when those are gone, they're gone and the, and the signed ones are rare. So um, oh my goodness! If, if people like a signed book, they're on there now, but they probably won't be there that long. <laughs> I, I have to say like this, I stumbled upon this book a few years ago. And I know we talked about this previous to recording the podcast, but I stumbled on it a, a few years ago, like right as I was getting into trapping season and not that they correlate, but like I was just, I had stumbled upon it and I, I believe it was even off something that you had posted. And when I saw what it was about and the short stories and the 40 years of Alaskan brown bear hunting and all the stories and the way that it was put together, I was very impressed with it. And it was like, I told my mom when she asked me one year, she's like, what do you want for Christmas? And I sent her the link and I was like this. <laughs> and I got it home. And like you said, it's a very easy read, but it's also something that like we use in, in my household. I have two little boys um, that it's been something that it's, and which I will say they're feral wild boys. So to read these types of stories to them are very engaging for them to stay interested. And it's something that like in, like I said, it's always within arm's reach because my kids will literally like can we read one of the stories out of that book? And they'll reread stories. And there's definitely emotion in there that you can pick up. So um, I, I think it's a phenomenal book. I love that you sell it on the website. It's an absolute blessing that you found some signed copies. I think that's, to me, that's, I'm a very, I'm, I'm, I love my dad so much. So it, it pulls a heartstring with me there that this is something that you got to help him with and um, got to experience a lot of these with him. So I just, I don't know. It's a very heartfelt book to me that I, it means a lot to me in my household, but I can only imagine what it means to you. And I think that it's an incredible read. Like you said, for new hunters, maybe if you want to get into bear hunting, buy this book and check it out because some of these stories are beyond what I thought a bear was capable of. And the, like you said, the photos, the imagery through the book, it, it keeps you engaged. Um, there's not really a limit on generation there. It's not like a I wouldn't say it's like a gory graphic book to the extent of where like younger kids couldn't read it. I have a teenager who absolutely loves this book. He 
one night I caught him sleeping with it in, in his bed. So, <laughs> oh I mean, <laughs> it's, it's a good book um, for the outdoorsman or woman that is interested in, especially maybe not educated on bears. It's a great way to learn. That is so um, touching. Just thank you for sharing that. I like it. My dad would just absolutely love that your boys love it. And that that's so special. And like, honestly, just that like would mean so much to him just to, to have some, um, some kids that are inspired and interested in hunting from reading it. That's really special. So thank you. Oh yeah. That book alone has made my 10 year old, like extremely interested in bear hunting. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, and we, um, we have family land down in West Virginia and he's always like, like the year that I got this book, oh gosh, this was, I've had this book for quite a while. Um, the year that I got this book, my son is now 10. So he probably would have been six or seven, I think maybe. Um, we actually bought him a cap gun to go walk through the woods with because after reading a few of these stories, he's like, I'm going to go bear hunting. And we <laughs> bought him a cap gun. So when we would go on our hikes, he would take his cap gun so he could bear hunt. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, just for the the moms or, or aunts that are out there that are, they have little kids in their life that are interested in hunting, or even if they are interested in it. Um, I, I just, I love the little short stories that are throughout it and it's, it is an extremely easy read. So I, I don't know. I love that your dad wrote this book. I love that you helped him with it. I think that that to me, it, it sets a sentimental value to a book like that aside, that it's not just some book that somebody put together. This is years and years of stories that are put together. And I, I absolutely love it. Thank you so much. So I know that we, we try to keep our podcast right around an hour and I'm sure that we've exceeded that, but I've enjoyed speaking with you so much to kind of recap the conversation. You know, we had your growing up in the outdoors in Alaska in all of this that you've done with your dad as, as a guide and a bush pilot in driving your passion and going through your disease state and how much you've overcome. You're an absolutely incredible, inspirational woman. And I thank you so much for sharing that with our listeners, because I do think that there is a lot of women that struggle with, with things of that nature and they don't know how to overcome it or don't know if they can. And I think that you are the prime example that you can and your will matters more than anything in this world than what a doctor can tell you, an employer, like we all face these battles on a daily basis, but what you're overcoming and what you're doing and just conquering everything, it's, it's extremely inspirational. And I, I hope that you know that as a woman, like social media is one thing, but what you're doing is inspiring so many women from around the world and showing that it doesn't matter. You can overcome it. Thank you I really so want much. to commend you for that because most people aren't willing to share a story like that. And I think that it's, it's something that a lot of times gets kind of like pushed on the back burner that people aren't willing to share those personal experiences. And I really want to commend you for being willing to share that. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, so with all of this, you are this just badass woman and you've traveled all over the world. What can we expect to see come from you for 2024 and the future years to come? <laughs> I'm not sure. So um, my, my, and, and this is funny, but because I was a bow hunter my whole life, my big thing was that I wanted to do a rifle hunt and I just did my first rifle hunt and I got a really nice mule deer here in Arizona. And so that was kind of the, a bucket list thing that I had 
Um, and now I'm not sure. It's like I had my bucket list for bow hunting was um, red stag and alligator with my bow and zebra. And I've done those three. So I am sort of at this crossroads where I'm going to have to sit down and really think about what my bucket <laughs> list is now and, and what I want to do. I'm, I'm not totally sure um, you know, what, what things I, what my goals are as far as, as hunting is concerned, certainly just to continue to do it. Um, but, but I'm, I'm not sure exactly what I'm targeting or, or where I'm headed yet. <laughs> that was going to be my next, next question too, is like, what is your, what's your bucket list? Like, what is something with everything you've done? What is something that you haven't done that you are still looking forward to doing? Well, I, I like, I have my father's recurve, and he did a lot of hunting with a recurve. He took tons of different Alaskan, you know, moose and, and doll sheep and goat and, and bear with his recurve bow. And um, I have his recurve and then I have several long bows of my own as well. So um, all the animals that I've taken with my bow have been with my compound. I would like to, to, to do some hunting with his recurve or my long bows. Um, and I actually had a black bear hunt booked in Canada with my best friend who is out, uh, her and her husband are outfitters up there and, um, it got shut down for COVID. I, you mm. couldn't get into the country. So I had that set up to go do. So, um, I'll probably put that back on the list as far as, <laughs> um, getting up there to see her in Canada and then also doing a, a recurve hunt. That's, that's on the list for sure. But beyond that, I'm not sure. I love that though, because what a, what a cool way to honor your dad too, is to hunt a bear with a recurve. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, Johnny, do you mind sharing with our listeners? We've gone over all of this and I would love for our listeners who maybe feel like they would like to learn more from you or get connected with you, or maybe even check out Rockstarlet or the Unpredictable Giants book, where they can find you and where they can find your branding and websites and everything for people to find you. Yeah, definitely. So um, Rockstarlet is just rockstarletoutdoors.com for the website. And then our social medias are, you know, on Facebook and TikTok. I'm not super great at TikTok, but I'm learning. <laughs> but Facebook, TikTok and Instagram are all just Rockstarlet Outdoors. Um, so yeah, I'd love for people to, to find that, engage with us on there. And I love customer picks. So if you if you have some Rockstarlet items and you're out doing something and you're wearing um, you know, Rockstarlet clothing, send me your pictures. Cause I love to give customers shout outs. So, um, so please do that or tag us or whatever, but then my, my personal pages as well. So on Facebook, it's just Johnny Marie and Johnny is J O N I, um, on Instagram, um, it's R B G R R R L. So originally when I had Rockstarlet bow hunting before I changed it to Rockstarlet outdoors. So that stood for Rockstarlet bow hunting girl. And the girl is like a growl, like G-R-R-L. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that makes sense. So, <laughs> so I, that was my username and then I've just never changed it. So, um, so R-B-G-R-R-R-L on Instagram and then Facebook is Johnny Marie. I love that you shared that little piece of information because <laughs> I always wondered what that was for. I know. And everybody's like, you should change it. And I'm like, Honestly, no. at this point, everybody just knows me by that. <laughs> no, I love it. And yeah. it was always one of those ones that sparked an interest of like, because you see some of these usernames and you're like, I wonder where that came from. So I love the origin of that. And yeah. I, I want to thank you for coming on and sharing your experience for for coming on and telling everybody your story. 
being vulnerable. I think that's something that sometimes we feel that we have to be like this hard rock and we have to like, that's the only way we can inspire. But in all reality, sometimes letting that softer side and being vulnerable out and letting people hear our stories is really important. And I really appreciate you allowing us to dive into your life, um, to dive into your company, this book with your dad, all of that is, it, it means so much to us. And with Women of the Wild, we love supporting women's companies who are embodying a woman in the outdoors. And I think that you are a perfect example of that woman. And like I said, the inspiration that you provide to women is unmatched and incredible. So I just want to say thank you. And I really loved having this conversation. And I, I hope to have many more with you. And one of these days, we're going to have to get on a hunt or something together because yeah. you are... <laughs> You're an incredible woman, and I, I hope people, and after listening to this, dig into you and your company a little bit and see that there are women out here who are just amazing women that have a heart full of just love for women in the outdoors. I really appreciate that so much. I'm going to keep an eye out on the hunts that y'all have coming up because that would be really fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. we Our 24 list hasn't posted yet, so we are, this is being recorded in December. It'll air in, in January. We have girls currently this weekend in Texas on a, a Sandhill Crane trip. They're doing Sandhill Cranes, Cacklers, want to do that. and Lessers. <laughs> yeah, we do it annually. It's a great event. We take women of all experience levels. And um, so with Women of the Wild, we offer online education. We offer in-person education. We offer trips for all experience levels, um, calendars, cookbooks, merchandise. We have an annual subscription for a newsletter that provides information, recipes, showcases women from around the world, uh, lets you know of past events, what's coming up, what to expect from us as women of the wild, showcasing other women's companies, providing promo promotional codes throughout those monthly newsletters. Um, so make sure you get on the website of womenofthewild.net and check those out. Um, we also have a women's private group for our listeners that maybe aren't part of the group yet. We have a women's private group that is for women only, and it is to create a safe space for women to have conversation, to set hunts up with each other, for um, other women's groups to share within. It's a complete hub. We don't discriminate against other women's groups. We also have a public page in our Facebook page, TikTok, Snapchat, all that, as well as a YouTube tube channel. Um, so thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Johnny, so much for diving into this conversation with us. And yes. I really look forward to seeing more from you in many years to come. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.